Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Happy Bloody Mary Friday, everybody. November 1st and one of the great days of the year for parents like myself. The day that you get to comb through your kids' Halloween candy. I got a giant backpack of candy here and you get to steal whatever you like. What do you go for? Is it the Reese's, Snickers, 100 Grand, Butterfingers, Skittles? We'll get into that. Also, the Niners remain undefeated. 8-0, barely this time, though, surviving Kyler Murray and the Arizona Cardinals. A lot to get to on this day, including Earl Campbell. Did he say something blatantly racist about white versus black quarterbacks. We'll get into that and the future of the Golden State Warriors in the short and the long term with Curry out for the season, broken left hand. Home and home radio.com sports original. We are brought to you by zip recruiter. Check out zip recruiter right now. It's ZipRecruiter.com slash enter a very busy, bloody Mary Friday. We'll talk to Kevin Millar at eight 30 about the world series, which turned out to be, the third lowest rated on record, stunning considering I don't remember enjoying a World Series more than this one in the last decade. Do you agree? Let us know your thoughts on that. As well as the game of the week in the NFL, the Patriots and the Ravens. Can this historic Patriots defense contain Lamar Jackson? That's the key question. And how good is that defense? They haven't beat anybody yet. The schedule gets a lot tougher now. We'll have hosts from WEEI and 105.7. The fan in Baltimore will hopefully get some smack talk between these two. The national media loving the Baltimore Ravens going into this game. I'm on an island. think this will be a blowout. Changing it up today because Ross Tucker had some complications flying out to Colorado for the Air Force Army game. So my man Joe Shasky did not sleep. Today home and home is coast to coast. (laughs) Joe, you were up last night on 95-7, the game in the Bay Area. You were up doing post-game after the Niners win, and yet you are up now with us at 5 a.m. Did you sleep at all? Nah, nah, didn't sleep, but money doesn't sleep, man, you know? Greed is good, Gordon Gecko. but uh, these 49ers are on fire right now. Nobody in the Bay Area can sleep. You can't sleep on them. Jimmy Garoppolo, I thought it was his signature game last night in a 49er uniform. This guy has had a five-game winning streak. He now has an eight-game winning streak. We know he got hurt last year, and that just sucked the life out of the organization, the fan base. The compensation package is Nick Bosa, and the way I'm looking at it right now, That's a pretty damn good compensation package. 
Absolutely. Look, I, I will admit I was not in on Jimmy Garoppolo. I feel as though I have to apologize to the Niners signal caller. I thought he was clearly their weak spot, a game manager and not a guy that could bring them to a Super Bowl. Um, he was a completely different guy than we've seen in recent weeks. What changed last night for him? Clearly, Arizona had a strategy. And that was, we're going to stuff Tevin Coleman. We're going to stop that ground game. We're going to make Jimmy Garoppolo beat us through the air. What changed all of a sudden for Jimmy? There's a combination of things, to be totally honest with you. You know, Jimmy Garoppolo, last year in his three-game stint where he finally got paid, he, he was awful. He was tentative. He was patting the ball in the pocket. Short, the short throws, the real short throws that he was money on the year prior, he was just telegraphing them. And you saw parts of that throughout the first couple of games of the year. But this is a guy coming off a major ACL injury. And to be totally honest, he doesn't have any wide receivers. Now, they swung a big-time deal. And at the time, I didn't think it was a big deal. I thought Emmanuel Sanders, nice receiver, probably better as a two than he is as anybody's one. But it has made the world of a difference because Emmanuel Sanders looks like he's been in this offense for two, three years. I mean, his rapport with Jimmy Garoppolo yeah. was fantastic. And, and also, you know, George Kittle's an absolute gladiator. But when you could take away the tight end, it's difficult when you're throwing to Debo Samuel, who's only played six games in the NFL and Dante Pettis who we're not even sure what he is in year two he looked like a great college punt returner but as a wide receiver in the NFL uh, I don't know and then let's not forget you know we're making excuses for Dak Prescott because guys are injured I mean Jimmy Garoppolo is without Joe Staley who's probably the third greatest offensive lineman in 49er history and, and Mike McGlinchey who was a top 10 pick uh, as a right tackle and was one of the better right tackles in the game I know Ross Tucker who I'm filling in here would would agree with me so you're losing weapons every single week because of injuries Jimmy Garoppolo's confidence was you know it was shaky but if you've been kind of looking between the lines this guy He's gotten better every single week. And by necessity, he hasn't had to throw and really carry this team on his arm. The defense has been unbelievable. The running game has been gouging teams left and right. And so Jimmy's only had to really throw for 175 yards a game. And when you're blowing teams out like they have over, I think they have four blowouts out of the eight wins this year, you don't really need to throw the ball around. So last night it all came together for him. We saw the guy that, Bill Belichick talked up. We saw the guy that we became enamored with after the five-game stretch when he was throwing to Lewis Murphy and a bunch of no-namers in the five-game stretch in 2017. Jimmy Garoppolo had it rolling last night. The, the shimmy shakes, the, the shoulders, looking off guys, throwing guys open. Uh, Jimmy was spectacular last night. That was next-level quarterback play, and everybody in the Bay Area was waiting just to see it. And now that we've seen it, I think everybody's a believer. Lot to unpack there. Let's start with Jimmy's numbers, 28 to 37, 317 and four touchdowns. I am with you on Emmanuel Sanders, a Bronco fan from Denver. Love the player, but think he is a number two wide receiver. Really the definition of it. Could not believe the chemistry of those two and the confidence that he suddenly brings to that offense. Kyle Shanahan talked about both of those things last night. Here's the Niners head coach. Yeah, he played great today. Um, he made a lot of plays in rhythm and made a lot of off-schedule plays. Uh, they got a great pass rush. They had some real tight coverages. They mixed up a lot of stuff, but um, I thought Jimmy played a hell of a game and um, his best game yet, probably. 
was the way was the way he was playing what allowed you to to go shotgun an empty set and that crucial third down at the end instead of maybe running the ball? Um, I mean that helps. Uh, that helps him. Um, but you know, just being down a field goal is more of it. You know, if we were probably down seven with no timeouts, we would have got it. But you know, moving the ball pretty good and um, thought we had to take our chance there. Um, definitely makes it easier to make that decision with the way he was playing and uh, the way some of the guys were doing in the past game. Uh, yes, I mean, he, I mean watching him, you, you always know he's a pro, um, but I mean, he's even been better than expected you know, since he's been here, just how unbelievably smart he's been in picking up the offense and being able to go out there that much, and especially here on a short week, and um, that game would have been real tough for him without. That third and fourth, I mean, it didn't even look like he had turned his head and the ball went Yeah, that one towards the sideline, I was right by it, so he had to push a little bit extra on it um, to his depth just to get away from Patrick. Um, Jimmy let it go early. Uh, I had a clean view of it. I didn't think Emmanuel was going to get his head around him right when he did hit him right in the chest. It was impressive. So that's Kyle Shanahan. And by the way, Sanders, seven catches, 112 yards, and the touchdown. Uh, Joe, I, I always feel like Kyle Shanahan will forever be saddled with 28 to 3. That Super what? Bowl score <laughs> until. Until he wins the Super Bowl. I, I think he is calling a terrific game plan. I mean, the play calling has been next level, uh, second to none this year. You don't feel like he'll forever be saddled with 28 to 3 unless he wins a Super Bowl? I mean, do we hold it over Daryl Bevel or Pete Carroll that they didn't hand the ball off to Marshawn Lynch? Do, do do we hold it over all like oh. since when is it the offensive coordinator's fault that the head coach Dan Quinn who looks like his team has quit on him this year three years later like Shanahan was the best thing that ever happened to the Atlanta Falcons and Matt Ryan this is absurd I look I understand where people are coming from uh yeah. but Kyle Shanahan was the reason that team got to that far. Like, Matt Ryan wishes he still had this guy. I understand where you guys are coming from. I think Kyle Shanahan is an unbelievable play caller. I had question marks as far as him leading men. Like, there's no doubt about it. I had questions on that. There's more to a head coach than just being a great play caller. But I think this year, more than any, he is playing complimentary football on both sides of the ball. But his feel for the game, the way he sets plays up, uh, he's been really critical of Jimmy Garoppolo, and I love that because there's nothing worse than when you coddle a young quarterback because that's what Jimmy is. I know people say, well, he's been sitting under ba Brady and Belichick, but the guy has less than 16 or 17 NFL starts. You got to treat him like a second-year quarterback, and sometimes you got to yell at a guy on the sidelines. Jimmy, Kyle, they've both been humiliated absolutely humiliated by the NFL. Kyle, by getting fired by the Washington Redskins, and then obviously the 28-3 to debacle, which everybody holds over his head. And then Jimmy Garoppolo, <laughs> you know, getting hurt last year. I think that when yeah. you get hurt and you get humbled, that changes you. You're seeing it with Baker Mayfield right now. Good luck, Baker Mayfield. Now's when the real NFL starts. Once you've been humbled, how do you respond? And so I think that Kyle Shanahan is <laughs> – He's, he's super petty when it comes to his beefs, but the way that this guy goes out and just delivers a game plan, his game time calling, the feel for what the defense is going to do, understanding what his players can do on the field, like that's the hallmark of Bill Walsh. You know, let me maximize what a, what a guy's skill is. Let me minimize what they can't do. Kyle's done a fantastic job with the limited pieces that they have. Matt Breida, we haven't even – Matt Breida was an undrafted running back out of Georgia Southern. 
He was spectacular last night. Again, this yeah. guy, all he's going to do is churn out a 1,000 yards. No one even heard of this guy before this year. So I, I, I'm a big believer in Kyle Shanahan, and he, we won, he won me over. And I, I've been super critical of him. Yeah, Matt Breida was outstanding on a night where Tevin Coleman was stuffed from the very start of the game. Uh, Tevin Coleman probably, once he watches that game tape, will just eat himself alive for the screen pass he dropped. It looked like... Tevin Coleman might have gone the distance. He had a cavalry out in front of him. Uh, they hang on, but that's a that's a play he will want back. Now an interesting <laughs> question comes out of this game about Jimmy Garoppolo. And you love the swagger of this guy. Great-looking dude, carries himself with uh, just an air of invincibility. And afterward, the post-game interview with Aaron Andrews on the field raised a couple of eyebrows. Let's listen to what happened. Kyle Shanahan telling us this week, each week, you're getting better and better. What was clicking tonight for you? You know, I think, uh, like like you said, the receivers, I mean, those guys just, their body language, how they are at the top of routes, they beat guys, and, I mean, it makes it easy for me. So we got skill position guys like that that are just winning on routes. It, it's awesome. And a couple of huge third downs for you, and, and one of those guys helping you out, Emmanuel Sanders, who you told us this week, came along quicker than you thought. What about tonight? Yeah, he, uh, you know, he picks it up quick. He's a vet. He's a pro, you know, so he just, uh, I don't know, it's awesome having a guy like that. And then you got to credit the guys up front to give us time to be able to throw those types of routes. So it's it's a big team effort. 8-0. How does that feel? Feels great, baby. <laughs> Happy Halloween right back at you. Thanks so much. Definitely. No problem. Okay, so that's how it sounded with Jimmy G and Aaron Andrews on the field. I think it helps for those of you that were watching the game as you and I were, Joe. I felt right away like there was some <laughs> real swagger in that interview. Uh, you say he uses that baby from time to time. Did you feel like he was kind of dropping his game on Aaron Andrews? Because I felt that way. I don't know Jimmy the way you do out in the Bay Area. Let me tell you, Jimmy Garoppolo, outside of Clay Thompson, is living his best life here in the Bay Area. Everybody yeah. loves Jimmy Garoppolo. My wife thinks he's the most handsome individual on the planet. Everybody does. Now, he had the porn star thing a couple of off-seasons ago. Yeah. And I'm going to be honest, I was not big on that. I didn't like the look. I, I expect my quarterback to be presidential. So I was not big on the whole porn star thing. It was just, it was just a really bad look. Really, really bad look. But Jimmy Garoppolo threw his fifth touchdown after the game. I mean, him throwing that lob up to Aaron Andrews, that was just absolutely hilarious. And yes, he does do the baby thing a lot where <laughs> he'll be like, you know, we're just trying to win, baby. But it looked like he gave a little wink too in there. And Dude, that guy's super savvy. You know, you got to understand, 49er fans have a lot of history with Aaron Andrews. Richard Sherman, okay? Richard Sherman was talking to Aaron Andrews when he chewed out Michael Crabtree right after the NFC Championship game. And so, you know, whenever you bring up Aaron Andrews at a 49er game, it evokes emotion from 49er fans. But, uh, but this one was a better one. Look, Dave, you want to know something? Jimmy Garoppolo yeah. is the first 49er quarterback since 2000, 20 freaking years since Jeff Garcia to throw for 300 yards and throw for four touchdowns. This is the quarterback era, the pass happy era. They have sucked for 11 out of those 18 years. I mean, I'm talking like dreadful and they haven't had one quarterback throw for four meaningless touchdowns and 300 yards. That's how inept the 49ers are at throwing the ball. Like they're allergic to the forward pass over the last 20 years. And so that's why everybody's losing their mind right now. It was the last link to could this team get over the top and Jimmy Garoppolo on the field, off the field, whether we're talking about how handsome the guy is, he could do no wrong right now.
He's a good looking dude, man. I would definitely put him. Is he number one? Is he the best looking dude in the NFL? Yeah, I think he is. Is he your number one draft pick when it comes to the best looking dude in the NFL right now? I think that he is. I mean, Tom Brady's always yeah. going to be there. There's no question yeah. about that. And that's and that's kind of, you know, he's kind of always been in his shadow. But Jimmy is, I mean, he, the guy's stunning. We call him Superman. I mean, the guy literally looks like Clark, Clark Kent. He, he's, and he, he's just, uh, he, he's unbelievable. When you're the quarterback of the 49ers, you know, we're talking about a blue blood franchise. One of the biggest, you know, entities on the West Coast. One of the original winners. Uh, these guys, when they're rolling and humming, the quarterback of the 49ers is as big of a position. You might as well be the quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys in California. I mean, they're the biggest entity out here by far. When they're winning, they're the biggest of the big. And Jimmy Garoppolo is at the forefront of that. So so it doesn't even compare out there in terms of the the gender, the, the volume of calls and passion. I, I just assumed it was a Golden State Warriors town, even if the Niners were pretty good. So is it even close in terms of the passion, in terms of the, the calls you guys take down out there at 95-7? Well, you got to understand that the Golden State Warriors are the only team in the Bay Area where both sides of the Bay Area root for. So you split up the fan base between the A's and the Giants. You split up the fan base between the Raiders and the, the 49ers. And so the Warriors have always been universally embraced by everyone. And Steph Curry's the golden child. I mean, you want to talk about somebody that not one person has anything negative to say, it's Steph Curry. But the 49ers, they get numbers like no other. Football's king, man. You, you've seen the baseball numbers uh, across the country. You've seen basketball numbers across the country, whether we're talking about viewership or just impressions on the social media stuff. And football's king. And, and I would say when the 49ers are humming, there are no bigger brand in sports in the Northern California area than the San Francisco 49ers. They're equivalent to the Lakers. They're equivalent to the Cowboys in Texas, the Yankees up in the Northeast. I mean, they are what rolls because really you had three, four generations of fans that embraced the greatness. And when LA didn't have a team, all the people in Southern California embraced the 49ers during the hardball run. We just had a game against the Rams and the entire Coliseum was filled with 49er fans. And, and it's kind of ironic because they built Levi Stadium. That's the stadium up here in, San, in uh, Santa Clara. And for the last five years when they've sucked, we've said, oh, man, they're playing 16 road games. Well, now that they're winning, it feels like they have 16 home games because every single stadium yeah. they've gone to, there have been the majority of people in the stands wearing red and gold. It's, it's a phenomenon right now, and it, it's catching steam couple of things before we move on from this game. Can't help but wonder how it might have played out differently had Cliff Kingsbury not called that unfortunate timeout. For those of you who didn't see the game, late in the second half, uh, Niners going stuffed on fourth down at the goal line. They try to run it right up the middle, but it turns out Kingsbury had called a timeout. That allows the Niners to rethink the play call, and that's when they threw the touchdown to Emmanuel Sanders. A huge moment in that game, considering they only won by three points. Take that touchdown away. This could be a very different story this morning, Joe, and especially when you consider the Niners' defense, which is certainly an outstanding unit, first or second best in the league. They had allowed 23 points combined in the four games prior they allow 25 uh, last night. So do you feel any differently about that defense that's now given up, uh, gives up 23 to Arizona? 
Oh, we uh, we had a little issue there with my man Joe Shasky, 95.7. We're going to work on reestablishing his signal. But let's get some, uh, some post-game reaction from the members of that Niners defense. Here's Richard Sherman. You know, it's humbling. It's humbling for the defense. You know, we need we need to be humble. That was a humbling game. You need to be humbled on all levels, and I think there's accountability on all levels. And and we'll watch the tape, and we'll we'll watch it critically, and everybody will watch it, um, and and judge themselves critically. And I'm sure, because um, we got to play like that. That's not championship football. When you say we need to be humbled, what do you mean? I meant exactly what I said. What did, what did the Cardinals do that was a little more difficult? Nothing. Nothing. They didn't do anything that was really difficult. Quarterback ran from time to time. We missed plays. You know, we missed tackles. You know, we we blew assignments. We 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 turned back when we should have spilled. Um, you know, some mistakes you can't make. Um, we missed tackles. Missed tackle on a, whatever however long that run was. You know, I missed the tackle. Uh, E-man, the safeties. You know, we all somebody got to get them down. And uh, you can't win like that. You can't. You can't. That's not winning football. Thank goodness our offense played played great and they did a phenomenal job. And we're thankful for for Jimmy G and, and Kyle and and school and all those guys deserve a ton of credit. You know um, for what they did today. So that's Richard Sherman on this outstanding Niners defense that looked beatable for one time this year, allowing the 25 points to Arizona. In particular, can't be happy about the Andy Isabella touchdown. That was Kyler to Isabella who then just took off and torched the Niners' secondary, an 88-yard touchdown catch. This is a guy who had two catches, two catches coming into this game, and he scorched them. Isabella looks like a guy they're going to have to get the ball to more. Uh, Joe, you're back with us now after a little connection issue. Do you feel any differently about this defense now that they allowed 25 to Kyler Murray and the Cardinals? Actually, I was really impressed with Cliff Kingsbury. I thought that he understood how to slow down this 49er defense. First off, he he did not allow them to substitute. He had them in that fast-paced, up-tempo offense. I thought he understood how to get the ball out quickly. You know, the 49ers really haven't been asked to tackle in space a whole lot. They've been doing a great job gang tackling. But I think one of the hidden nuances of this one is that Quan Alexander got hurt in the second half. And Quan Alexander got ejected in game one against Tampa Bay. They got gashed in the run game in that particular game. They allowed Godwin and, and Jameis Winston to get a little bit of momentum. And then he came back, and they've been really solid for like six games. Well, he gets hurt again in the second half of this game. And I don't think it was a coincidence that Kenyon Drake started to go off in the screen game and in the run game. And then that was just one of those plays where Mosley can't gamble. I, he tried to gamble and make a big pick. You're up 11 points right there. The worst thing you could possibly do is give up a 90-yard touchdown. And tackling has not really been an issue, but the angle by Richard Sherman there was just, oh, my gosh, what are you doing? And Jimmy Ward, who before this season has been much maligned, he took a terrible out, a route on that one as well. You just can't give that up. But Cliff Kingsbury, I was really impressed with him. You know, I – Everybody thinks that a, a head coach is a finished product when they come to whatever situation they're in. Andy Reid's been coaching for like 35, 40 years. He's 60-something years old. Pete Carroll, the same thing. Belichick, Sean Payton, been doing it forever. Well, what's Cliff Kingsbury, in his 40s? Like, this is his first NFL season. He's going to get better. And I had major question marks on him. But calling that timeout right there, he's going to regret that. I thought it was bigger stones and cojones from Kyle Shanahan to after getting stuffed, instead of taking the three, going for it again, and with four seconds to go on the clock on fourth down, and you throw the ball, 
and that was unbelievable. I had a bigger issue with the challenge in the fourth quarter from Cliff Kingsbury because Tevin Coleman's yeah. going out of bounds. You got two timeouts. Uh, the 49ers are probably going to run the ball there. You need to save your timeouts. That was just a wasted challenge play. You had the two-minute uh, timeout there. You know, time management. How do these guys not have a time management guru in their ear at all times? That That's the part that baffles me. Yeah, the game decisions are something Kingsbury's going to have to improve at. The challenge was a bad one in that it was pretty clear right away that at the very least there was no angle to give you confidence that he stepped out of bounds there. That did seem like a strange challenge. He's made some calls that have opened himself up to criticism. He went for it last week on fourth down at their 30. It failed. Saints went on to roll. Kingsbury is going to have to learn from that. Joe, you mentioned Kenyon Drake. And one of the great things about the NFL is how one week can make you feel differently about a quarterback in the case of Jimmy Garoppolo, a defense in the case of the Niners. It also made me feel differently about tanking. I'm all in on what the Miami Dolphins are doing because, quite frankly, you can't be mediocre in this league. you got to be at the bottom. you got to completely rebuild the way the Houston Astros did in baseball. But seeing the way Kenyon Drake played last night, I couldn't help but say to myself, maybe I'm not all in on the way the Dolphins are tanking by getting rid of what looks like some pretty damn good football players. Remember, they traded away Laramie Tunsil. They traded away Kenny Stills. They traded away Minka Fitzpatrick. And yes, they've acquired, they now have nine picks in the first and second round of the next two years and $100 million in cap space. But Kenyon Drake looked like a rocket last night. 160 total yards and a touchdown. If you're going to rebuild, you're going to need talented young football players like Kenyon Drake. Do you feel differently about tanking given how competent, how good of football players they have now shipped away? It's going to take more than a year, two years. It might take five to completely rebuild that roster. Man, tanking is such a complicated question because, look, my Golden State Warriors are having this question thrown at them right now. Uh, everyone's saying, you got to tank. What happened to competing? What happened to being an athlete and going out there and as an organization and having a standard? Steph Curry, we talk about how great Steph Curry is. He was the seventh pick overall in the draft. Uh, Clay Thompson, 11th pick overall. Jimmy Garoppolo, the 49ers' entire franchise changed when they made a trade two years ago today to get Jimmy Garoppolo, a high second round pick. Now, they had the number two overall pick, completely whiffed on it, traded back to give uh, Mitchell Trubisky and the Chicago Bears a chance to, to, to unite, and they took Solomon Thomas. Absolute whiff, okay? The following year, they took McGlinchey, the 10th overall pick. That was a really good pick. And then last year, number two overall, they take Nick Bosa. But the variance from Nick Bosa to Solomon Thomas, it, to me, it's such a crapshoot. I don't believe in tanking. I understand theoretically, philosophically what you're saying, but from a fan base, you can't charge the prices that these organizations are charging to, to fans to just suck. You, you're losing yeah. out on generations of fans because we see this with the Oakland Raiders. I saw this with my 49ers. I've got nieces and nephews. They don't wait around for the team to be good. They're going to go hop on the Patriot bandwagon. They're going to go hop on the Dallas Cowboy bandwagon or whoever's winning at the time. I understand in theory how tanking works, but you have to hit the draft picks and you have to have a culture around that draft pick that's going to enable them 
to flourish. Look at Cleveland right now. You, you think that Freddie Kitchens is the right guy for the job to make sure that Baker Mayfield flourishes? And they've got talent everywhere. So, like, in theory, tanking is great. And I understand where the Dolphins were. They were in, like, sports purgatory. Seven and nine, nine and seven. We're stuck with Tannehill. Like, I understand that. But at some point, my God, you, you got to start keeping people and you have to start building around everyone. And you have to just stick with what you have. And that's that's where the Niners got off track. They, they went four coaches in four years. They were drafting guys for different schemes and they never could get the continuity. Now that you gave Shanahan a six-year deal, you gave John Lynch, you got to be a little patient. You got to be patient. And it's really hard because it's the instant gratification era. I'm I'm guilty of this. I know fans are guilty of this. But at some point, you can't charge $20,000 for a PSL. You can't charge thousands and thousands of dollars for season tickets and expect your consumer to continue to show up when you suck out loud. Like, there's just too much going on. There's too much that, that's vying for my time. I mean, Star Wars movies are coming out right now. Do I want to take my kids to go see the Star Wars movie where I know I'm going to have a good time or go to a Dolphin game where they're going to be down 40 points at halftime? I mean, you tell me where you're spending your money. Yeah, that rebuild looks like I, – I believed it initially, but you're going to need a guy like Drake. You're going to need a guy like Tunsil. It may take too long, and to your point, folks in South Beach got a lot other things to do. Good to have Joe Shasky with us. No sleep, but tons of energy. We'll explain to you later on why his nickname is The Butcher in just a bit. But first, hiring – well, not just butchers, but it can be a slow process. Cafe Altura's COO, Dylan Miskowitz, needed to hire a director of coffee for his organic coffee company, but he was having trouble finding qualified applicants, so he switched to ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them for you. Its technology identifies people with the right experience, invites them to apply to your job, so you get qualified candidates fast. Dylan posted his job on ZipRecruiter and said he was impressed with how quickly he had great candidates apply. He also used ZipRecruiter's candidate rating feature to filter his applicants so he could focus on the most relevant ones. That's how Dylan found his new director of coffee in just a few days. Results like that, no wonder four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. See why ZipRecruiter is so effective. For businesses of all sizes, try ZipRecruiter for free at our web address. It's ZipRecruiter.com slash enter ZipRecruiter.com slash E-N-T-E-R. We will explain to you why they call Joe Shasky the butcher boy later in the program. But up next, after a quick break, we're going to bring in our good friend Kevin Millar from the MLB Network, the host of Intentional Talk, to break down the World Series. Why was it one of the lowest rated of all time? And was this the greatest come-from-behind story in World Series history? That and let's see if Kevin Millar dressed up for Halloween. We're back after a quick break. Reading the Washington Post this morning, the headline reads, The Nationals pulled off the greatest postseason upset run in the history of baseball, and I doubt it's even a close call. Was it really the greatest ever? We'll talk about that with our good friend Kevin Millar. That was <laughs> intentional talk on MLB Network. Kev, good to see you. Dave Briggs and Joe Shasky with us from 95.7, the game out there in the Bay Area. We'll get to baseball in a minute, but let's start with Halloween. You rocked a milk suit last night. Please explain. <laughs> yeah, so I got home. I left right from my show, Game 7. Everybody's like, you're not staying for Game 7? Like, no. 
I'm going to get home for game seven with my family down in Austin, Texas. I walk in the door and my daughter right there goes, dad, I got your Halloween costume. You're going to be the milk and I'm the Oreo cookie. I said, done. So I put on a pair of white golf pants, some Air Force Ones, and I found me a little old white golf hat. <laughs> Next thing you know, a little Kangol style slipped on the milk. I was milking cookies. Dude, I always try to dress up with my kids and they always deny me. They they want nothing to do with dad. I mean, how old is your daughter and, and how does a guy work that out? I mean, usually they want nothing to do with us already. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I let her down a little bit because I told her she wanted to go to the World Series. And I said, listen, baby, if it goes back to Houston, which is game six, I promise I'll take you. Because obviously games one and two, I got to go straight to D.C. Because with day, days off, we do intentional talk on the field. So, of course, it gets back to game six. I'm like, I had to fly into Houston because we have to do the show that, that what was it, uh, Monday morning, you know, on the day off. And I'm like, she's like, so calls me the day off. She's like, uh, how are you getting me to Houston for the game six? I'm like, okay, um, we're about 190 miles from the airport. I mean, from the stadium. I'm like, listen, babe, I promise you we're going on a daddy-daughter dinner because the weather's a tick hairy. I don't know how to get you there. And, uh, and I'll go whatever you want me to go as in Halloween. So she got me a milk outfit, and she was the Orioles and Cookie. We're all on good terms now. I do owe her a dinner probably tomorrow. Uh, we're going to do a daddy-daughter dinner. But, yeah, so I had to agree to be a glass of milk. Dude, you, you owe her way more than a dinner, bro. Way <laughs> yeah. more than a dinner. You're going to be paying for that dearly. Wait till she's 16. She's still going to remind you about this. So So last question on Halloween is, I always steal my kids' candy when they go to school the day after yeah. Halloween. And I get through there, and I'm looking for a couple of things. The first thing I'm looking for is the Reese's, baby. I mean, for me, the Reese's is easily yes. number one on the uh, power rankings of Halloween candy. What do you steal from your kid's bag? All right, so that's a great question. We went over this last night. Very underrated, and I'm going to shock the world, is a Tootsie Roll. Underrated. That's not my go-to. I'm just telling you, I had one last night. I looked at my buddies. I said, this is very underrated. Just stay with me. And they're like, what are you Tootsie Roll. I go, hear me out. A piece of chocolate, Tootsie Roll kind of does the job. Reese's is number one. Sour Patch Kids, if I'm going to go in that direction, would be number two. Gummy Bears, Sour Patch Kids. Then you can go on to the Starburst and stuff like that. But Three Musketeers. Reese's, number one, two, and then those Sour Patch Kids probably be three. That is fantastic. I absolutely love that. You got to have the Starburst being soft, though. The key is that they have to be soft. Yes. Kevin, I want to ask you, though, because, you know, last year I had major issues. I'm a big-time Giants fan, obviously. I'm a lifer, San Francisco native, and I love when the Dodgers lose. Last year, you know, Cody Bellinger, NLCS MVP, he doesn't even play in game one and two in the World Series because the spreadsheet tells him not to play him. I, I just – I don't understand where baseball is going right now. I, I love the game so much. But are we really – is it really going to be dictated by Excel spreadsheets? Like, is there no gut? Is there no feel? I just watched a Hall of Fame manager in Bruce Bochy say sayonara to the fan base here uh, in San Francisco. Is he the last of the dinosaur when it comes to calling it from the gut type of managers? Is it all just spreadsheets now? Yeah, it's it's we're in a different dynamic right now. We have so much information in all sports, and it's sometimes you're losing your eyeballs. So when we talk about gut as managed, you also got to watch the game, right, with our eyes. And, and I understand, listen, the numbers are great. Take and choose. Give me what you need. But we can't forget that we're human beings. We're not robots. And you can't just say at 38-degree weather at nighttime against left-handers, you know, Dave hits 347 because he hits 
350 against this left-handed curveball. But yep. you know what? That left-handed curveball that we're facing tonight might be different. It might be the Barry Zito version of a left-handed curveball or Clayton Kershaw of a left-handed curveball, which you can't hit anyway. So sometimes numbers, if you make, if that makes sense, kind of like, okay, his curveball he can hit, but what about his curveball? You know, Zach Granke's curveball, 68 to 71. What about that curveball? Instead of hitting Strasburg's, that might be 78 to 80. So there's a whole lot of stuff that goes into the numbers and stuff, but I'm with you. At the end of the day, if I'm the field manager, I'm watching this baseball game. I know who's swinging the bat well. It's not always about just numbers. If a guy's getting broken bat, blue pits, or if a guy's lining out and having nice seven to eight pitch at bats, you watch a guy like Michael Brantley get in the batter's box. He's 0-2. Before you blink your eyes, he's seen nine pitches and it's 3-2. So that's a good at bat. Whether or not he gets out or not, that's still a positive at bat. We used to, in the minor leagues, have a thing called quality plate appearances. And it was awesome because when we were in A-ball, double-A, we're so caught up in the numbers and we're so caught up. Oh, he's, he's three for 10. He's hitting 300. But if you were two for 10 hitting 200, but you have, you know, seven quality play appearances, which is a nice walk or a nice line out or something you would get, you know, you would know that. So that tells you, and as a manager or whoever, this kid's having good at bats, he's okay. That's the stuff we're losing because we're so numbers oriented. And I'm telling you, I don't, you know, good or bad. It's definitely a little weird because you see guys sit on the bench and too, too many lambs mixed up and mixed match. It'd be a tough time for me to play in the day, day like this because I love playing every second. Speaking of managerial styles, and we're talking to Kevin Millar, the host of Intentional Talk from MLB Network. If you were managing, does Garrett Cole pitch in that game? Does he come in for Zach Granke? Yeah, Dave, I, you know what's funny? I'm watching the same game you guys did. There wasn't a whole lot of hard contact off Zach Granke. And I love me some AJ, but I'm going to tell you, I'm watching the game that he is painting down. He is painting on the corners. He hung a change up to Rendon, who Rendon, as we watched for seven days, is the real deal Holyfield with that bat in his hand and defensively. So he hits a change up out. We're still up 2-1. We've got, what, 80-plus pitches? It didn't make sense to me why Zach Granke left the game. And let's say he is going to leave the game. Well, the next guy that gets the ball is Garrett Cole, in my opinion, because now we're trying to eliminate outs, right? We're trying to figure out, okay, now we just need to get seven outs, six outs, whatever the number is. So you start working backwards. Okay, if we're going to go Garrett Cole, he's up in the bullpen. This isn't just fake. Give me give me Garrett Cole, the next guy. And then we can go do, do the Osuna, and then we can kind of break down. Listen, Will had a great a great postseason, but when you start seeing a relief, or, a relief pitcher in there for three or four times in a seven-game series, now it's not as different, you know, because it's not as different once you've seen him once, twice, three times now. So I just think the next guy that got the ball was going to be Garrett Cole. And I still don't know why we took out Zach Granke. And I know that that's an armchair quarterback, and I'm not even talking about the result. I was just watching the game. Zach Granke was absolutely dynamic that night. There's no question. Absolutely no question. I'm right there with you. I, I, I... I just don't understand it. Go to your best pitcher. Um, you know, Juan Soto was just so impressive throughout the entire postseason. I saw him roll in to AT&T Park this year, and he looked like a guy who's been playing for 10 years. I can think in my life, Miguel Cabrera, Andrew Jones, guys who made their presence on the World Series stage, him getting brushed back by Verlander and then going yard on the very next pitch. How special is this kid, Kevin? Yeah, he's got a presence in that batter's box. Besides all the antics and the skits and the dirt kicking and the crotch grabbing and all that stuff, I you know I get all that. Sometimes it gets a tick too much because we're trying to play the you know tickle bunny. I will tell you this: this kid knows the strike zone. This kid, when he came up as a 19-year-old, you saw that he established a strike zone. And when you have a young kid 
that can handle the breaking ball and the fastball and knows the strike zone. Like that's what made Barry Bonds so great. Uh, since you're a Northern Cal guy, it made him so great because the strike zone he knew was a shoebox. And when players know the strike zone and don't expand that strike zone and swing at strikes, you've got this game matched because everybody can hit. A lot of the times we get out because we, we, we expand the zone. We're swinging at curveballs in the dirt, sliders off the plate, fastballs high, 0-2, you know, whatever they, whatever the sequence is. This kid, man, he handles all pitches and doesn't expand, which makes him a very tough out. And then you add the power and everything else involved. Did it? You know, we we saw stars going to be born. I love the swagger of that kid, man. He looks at you like he is going to murder whatever you pitch you put over that plate. So I open up the Washington Post this morning. I'm an old school newspaper man, but the sports headline really grabbed me. The Nationals just pulled off the greatest postseason upset run in the history of baseball, and I doubt it's even close. You were part of a pretty special run, as I recall, uh, one that I covered back in 2004. Was the Nationals run the greatest postseason upset in the history of the game? No, no, I don't. I, in my opinion, I don't think it's an upset. I don't think. I mean, they, these guys walked around with a three-headed monster, you know. But like I said, Patrick Corbin once again has never gotten the credit that he deserves. But he struck out 230 players, 238 players this year. You look at Strasburg and you look at Max Scherzer. I mean. It's hard to say that, that that was like an upset. This isn't a Joe Namath situation where he walked in as an underrated and underdog. Yeah. Did they not get the credit they deserved? Yeah, you can say that. Did they beat a great team in the Los Angeles Dodgers who were the mighty team in the Nationals? Yes, that was a great, great series, and that was an upset. And then they walked in and beat a Houston team that was the best team in baseball on paper and looking to make their own dynasty, kind of like the Giants did in 10 and 12 and 14, trying to win it in 17, 19, and 21, or whatever the dynasty they were talking. Yeah. I would say they were the underdogs. It's not the greatest upset in the world because I looked at the Nationals team. First of all, you talked about Juan Soto. They have the MVP at third base probably. You have three guys at the top of the rotation that could pitch. Their bullpen was a tick weak. It was 28th in the National League, uh, you know, in the big leagues coming in. But they pitched well the last couple weeks. They won eight straight games to end the season. They won 18 and 21 at some point. They were able to win on the road. So I don't know what, 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 what craziest upset we've ever seen. When you get to this stage and you get to play at the big boys in the postseason, the World Series, you're going you're gonna to face high velocity, which they had, high strikeout type pitchers, which they had, and you saw a team that believed in themselves. And they took the first two games in Houston out of nowhere. That's never happened to Garrett Cole or Justin Verlander to lose back-to-back days, especially at home where the Astros are tough. And then they go on the road. I mean, go back to home. And then they get beat three games. And everybody's like, oh, my goodness gracious, the Astros just woke up. And then come right back to Houston, take six and seven. So remarkable series, I would say. Uh, awesome series behind the scenes. And they believed in each other, I would say. But I would say the best, the biggest upset in uh, in the World Series. You know, Kevin, I, I just, I'm, I'm blown away by the Astros because they got so many stars. I just don't know where they go from here. I understand they got a great nucleus. Gurriel's, what, 35, 36 years old. He had an outlier year, 35 home runs, 100 RBIs. I mean, he was spectacular this year. But they're going to lose Garrett Cole probably in free agency. I mean, do they just roll this thing back? Because it's it's so hard to get back to the World Series. We've seen this with so many different teams. They remind me so much of the 88, 89, 90 Oakland A's where they only had one World Series for all those amazing teams, all that talent. I mean, are they just are they the favorite heading into next year? Are they gonna are they gonna be back again at this time next year? Yeah, they got they got a team that's really not going anywhere. I mean, Altuve signed. You got Bregman is signed. You got Correa's there. 
George Springer. You, you, you look at the club. Every year, Frazee hurts a team. But one thing about this team, they're pretty smart about, like, keeping the group together and signing who they need, the nucleus. You're going to have a minor league pitcher come up that's going to be somebody that you're like, ah, this kid's good. I shot a proposal out there. It's just my day after the World Series proposal. I'm signing Rendon. He would stay in Texas, Rice University. Perfect. Put him at third, move Bregman to short, trade Correa, go get some young pitching. There you have it. You're losing Garrett Cole. He'll probably be the highest annual pitcher in the history of baseball. He wants to go back to the West Coast. UCLA boy probably ends up in Anaheim. Uh, Rendon will end up in Texas somewhere. And then uh, I was just saying, if you get a little froggy, go and sign him and shift Bregman to shortstop and see what happens uh, on the Correa, you know, Correa situation with some young pitching. What do you think about that one, boys? Wow, that was impressive general managing. Where does Garrett Cole end up? Garrett Cole goes to the Anaheim Angels, back to the West Coast. Then you got Strasburg that's going to opt out. He'll end up maybe back in San Diego where he went to college. So I'm just thinking about, I'm thinking out loud. We're going to have a slow offseason. We know that. Scott Boris has got all of them. So they probably won't sign until <laughs> April 29th. And so you know how this all goes. We're going to be sitting there at the winter means in San Diego from December 9th going, but every player is represented by Boris, and you're like, okay, so uh, great having you guys. Let's go golfing. Boris won the World Series, no question about that. Uh, it's Kevin Millar, host of Intentional Talk. Um, I want to ask you about this group of Nationals players, though, in terms of the loose, goofy, fun, passionate atmosphere that they foster in the clubhouse, in the dugout, in the stands. Does it remind you of your group from 2004? <clears throat> Yeah, you know what's funny? When you win, you have clubhouse chemistry, right? With winning teams, you really see not having fun. So I enjoy that aspect about it because it is a part of baseball, the chemistry part. I don't know how many wins it is, but when you get a group of guys that really care about each other, you understand because behind the locker rooms, when all the articles and all the talk shows and all the stuff's going on, everybody's got an opinion, right? So you're sitting there watching all these shows like, oh, okay, you're picking the Astros at six. Okay. They're not coming back to D.C. Okay. Or, you know, they're not coming back to Houston. So you start getting all this stuff. But behind the scenes, you got boys going, all right, let's go. Let's go, boys. A little steak dinner, a little red wine. Let's talk about it. The Astros had a little meeting once they went into, you know, D.C. Kind of going, okay, we're all in two. This isn't going to work. So they do their thing. And the Nationals are sitting over there going, no one believes in us. And you know what's funny? Let me just say one more thing I want you guys to think about. Joe and Dave, mm -hmm. check this out. Scherzer wakes up with a sore neck. We've all done it. You can't move. It stinks. You're like, wow, what bad timing. We all felt bad for Max Scherzer. We can't see Garrett Cole and Scherzer in Nationals Park. Guess what? Joe Ross is going to start for Max Scherzer. The sky is falling. Wasn't an elimination game. No. So we're going to go ahead and assume that we're going to lose to Garrett Cole because no one's beat him this entire year other than game one. Awesome. Let's let Joe Ross start. We'll take the loss. We'll be down 3-2. Hopefully, Strasburg gets a chance to pitch well in game six. If we get to a game seven, we're set up perfectly with Max Scherzer because then what? We got Max Scherzer. So I thought it was genius. And Strasburg obviously threw the game of his life in game six, which they all believed he could because he's turned into their Garrett Cole and went 5-0 and in this postseason and winning the MVP. And then it kind of worked out nicely for the Nats. Game seven, Max Scherzer, who was their ace to start the year. So it, it was a pretty uh, interesting how hurt was he. I know he was sore, but maybe that was kind of like, we're not going to beat Garrett Cole anyways. Let's save you for game seven if we get there.
Old school gamesmanship. I kind of like it. All right, I, look, we got the uh, the offseason coming. We know the Yankees, every year they're going to try to retool. So I got to ask you a couple questions about my San Francisco Giants. Where does Madison Bumgarner land in free agency? And what the heck is going on with this managerial search? Is Gabe Kapler the guy? Huh. There's a lot of jobs that opened up right the year. You had eight of them. Now they're kind of getting filled slowly, but surely. You know, one thing about Cap is that, you know, he's a West Coast guy. Let's get that straight. Grew up up there in uh, in uh, West, what you know, what the Encino, the the Valley of, of California, which is about 30 miles from Los Angeles. So I know he's a West Coast guy. The the higher in Philly, you're kind of like, man, okay, go get him, Cap, on the East Coast. But I think he's definitely a guy that's a candidate. I don't know the whole ins and outs on who's going to be hired. I've heard Mark Kotze's name thrown out there. Another West Coast guy, Golden Spikes winner out of Cal State Fullerton, who is your like helper for the Oakland A's this year. The assistant to the assistant. There's so many job tiles I can't keep up. It used to be just like bench coach, pitching coach, manager. Now we have like a strength coordinating conditioner, assistant to the mental side, to the assistant to the UVR spin rate side, to the assistant to the document papers hand in you side. So Kapler, Kotze, I've heard some names. Yeah, they're all West Coast guys. I think that's the fit you got to go. It's just like when you sign guys that go play in the East Coast. You got to have some makeup. You can't just sign the best player if the guy's softer than Hummus. So when you go to Boston, you better have a little makeup to go play. Or go to Philadelphia, you better have a little makeup to play. And, uh, yeah, Kapler's a guy that definitely I can see managing for the Giants. I want to ask you quickly uh, before we let you go about the ratings for the World Series. Because if it weren't for Game 6 and 7, if this thing would have been wrapped in 5, even 6, we would be talking about historically bad numbers still the third lowest rated World Series ever, the only one to compare to in recent years, Giants and Royals in 2014. 23 million people watched Game 7, but overall the numbers were terrible. What does that tell you? We, we didn't have a moment, Dave. We were waiting for a moment until Game 7, and until really Game 6. We talked about There wasn't a moment. We were talking about, you know, the moment of, was it Game 3 when Animal Sanchez hit with a guy in, third base less than two outs and I think the game was 2-1 at that time it was like how do you hit Anibal Sanchez how much more are you gonna get him he already went four innings and gave up two runs like how much more is he gonna go this is a good time to pinch hit for him so like we were talking about that story and then the umpire story the base running like it didn't matter because Rendon drove in five and hit a home run that you know game six but we were talking about where's the baseline how, how, how is Turner called out like that was a moment everybody's trying to create it didn't even matter in the game we just all learned the rule now because we really don't know the rule when a hitter gets done swinging the bat and Turner takes off in a straight line. I thought that was, you know, he was fine. He wasn't zigzagging, but you got to get in that 45 foot thing. So to answer your question, we wait for a moment. Like where's the, when's the moment going to happen? Strasburg goes out there in game six, Rendon goes out there and drives in five. And you're like, wow, this might be the moment we push it to a game seven, which game sevens are, are exciting. Now we got 23 million people watching game seven, but up to that point, you couldn't name a moment. You couldn't even, like, who's going to be MVP, you know? So I think that's part of it. Uh, moments are fun. Altuve, game six, walk off against the Yankees. Like, those are moments you're like, wow, okay. Yeah. So game seven happens, and yeah, thank God game seven happened. And uh, thank God the Nationals won game six from that umpire, you know, opinion, you know, Holbrook baseline thing, because that would have cost the Nationals. Can you imagine having that storyline? Like, how do you make that call? Game six, even though it's the rule, and Sam did a good job of following the rule. So I think that a lot of that, Dave, was part of the moment. And, you know, big market teams, people wanted to see Dodgers, Yankees. You know, that's that's yeah. going to rate higher. So 
the guys behind the scenes are one of the big market guys. The country missed a beautiful World Series. Last question, though, had to do with some moments that were interesting off the field. Some fans had some moments. There was Jeff Adams, the double-fisted Bud Light guy who took a home run ball off the chest. There was another chest story, Julia Rose, who flashed her boobs to Garrett Cole in game five, along with her friend from Shag Mag. By the way, Kev, we had her on the program yesterday. We all fell in love. Or there's yep. the... The, the other chest moment, the big uh, chubby Nats fan. I hope everyone saw this guy, Jason Turner. He's a student. Okay, he's a fat guy. He took his shirt off celebrating at Nats Park and did a slip and slide on the Nats dugout. Which one of those three fans won the World Series? Well, let's be honest. I think it was number two. I mean, there's nothing <laughs> like that, right? Well, you know what? I love my Budweiser boy. I'm going to tell you, he, he got famous quick because you got double-fisted, boom, ball hit you, and he got the ball which was impressive. The impressive thing, because that ball hits you, okay, he kind of had the happy Gilmore, but to go down and get the ball, because you know, once that ball goes down, you got 15 fingers and hands going down there going, and he came up with it and barely spilled his beer until he kind of went for the ball. Yeah. So I love that, but let's not, let's not, let's be honest. I mean, there was nothing like seeing the, uh, yeah. Yeah, you said. Yeah. And, and, and by the way, she says they're real. <laughs> She was on yesterday, and she said they are real. And to quote Seinfeld, they are real, and they are spectacular. And she is a lovely young woman. She's a lovely uh, young woman. Great personality. I got to tell you. Uh, you were a carton of milk. I was Jeff Adams. I dressed as the Bud Light two-fisted fan. Uh, that was my Halloween costume. Yesterday. Yes! <laughs> yeah, Baby was, Fresh, was, I love it. It's pretty solid. Here I am yesterday. For those of you who can see on the uh, app, you're watching. Ross Tucker was uh, the demigod Maui from Moana, and I was ah. two-fisted Jeff Adams. Uh, Kev, good Love to it. see you, my friend. Thanks for spending so much time with us on a Friday. Have a great weekend. Thanks, Kev. All right, boys. Thanks a lot. All right. Great fun with Kevin Millar. Check him out on MLB Network. He's the host of Intentional Talk. When we come back, we will explain why Joe is called Butcher Boy. We'll also have a great debate between Baltimore and New England on who wins this Patriots-Ravens game. I cannot wait. Also, Joe's take on the future of the Golden State Warriors, both short-term and long-term. We're back after a quick break. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.